the great scope of this prophecy is A.D. 71, when the city of Jerusalem is besieged by the Roman armies, it is entered, destroyed, sacrifice is ended, the furniture of the temple is removed. It's the end of Judaism as a watertight institution. From there, they have no more sacrificing, no more uh, Ark of the Covenant. They have no more high priestly ministry. They are now scattered in various nations, and they continue as a diaspora in synagogues in various ways that they would hold on to their faith and to their culture. But the temple was destroyed, and it was over A.D. 70. And to this day, Judaism has not returned to temple worship as it was at that time. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Canada. This is Ian Gallagher, and I'm delighted that you're back with us to hear the message of God's Word. Our desire is to preach the Bible, the Bible only, and nothing but the Bible. And today we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 9, that second part of those purposes of Daniel and of God's prophecies, what he would do in this world for his church, for his people, to glorify his son and to populate heaven. And I trust that you are ready for heaven, that you're saved by God's sovereign grace through the gospel of his own dear son. Every so ought to have that testimony that I am saved. Saved is a Bible word. It is a necessary word. And of course, it ought to reflect the experience of the born-again Christian, saved by the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And today, we're going to learn something of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Now, righteousness means the things that he has done right to make us right with God so that when we stand before him, we are accepted, clothed in his righteousness or in his perfect goodness. When you hear the word righteousness, think on perfect goodness. That will greatly help. So let's go to the message today on Daniel 9. You'll find it in verse 24 as we let the Bible speak. It's good tonight how many here like Daniel. I think I've said it over and over that I like Daniel. He has been growing on me in all the weeks that I have been looking into this book of Daniel since the beginning of the summertime. And here we are now in November, and we're still in the book of Daniel. And this may well be our last message in this book. Now, we got 
about halfway through the message uh, when we were looking at verse 24. And we noted that there are six little uh, prepositions, the word to, in the verse 24. Before we go there tonight, I want to do a very quick review and remind you of the five time markers that are given in this prophecy by Daniel. He prophesies that there are 70 weeks that are determined until the end of this great stretch of time. And so it behoves us to wonder where it begins and where it ends. Now we discussed why these are years, and God had his people in exile for 70 years, and now was coming their reward. He was going to multiply that by seven. It makes no sense to make it days, weeks, or months, but it only makes sense when you understand it as years. Now, the scope of these years began at the commandment that the temple in Jerusalem should be built. And you'll see there, right in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And so there is a bit of a division. There is a reference to seven weeks. And those, that period was the period of rebuilding. And it took a while. There was a period when the work was stopped. And it required that Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and others be sent to stir up the people to rebuild. And eventually the work was done. So that's the first period, seven weeks. And then there are 62 weeks until the coming of Messiah. And that is to the ministry of John the Baptist. And we looked how that was in the 15th year of Tiberius. The Bible very marvelously gives us the exact year when the ministry of the Lord Jesus began. And in that period, the work was done. Now, the third marker is given to us here is when the Messiah would, sorry, marker one is the building, command to go forth to build Jerusalem. Marker two was the finishing of that building. Marker three is the beginning of Messiah's ministry at the end of John the Baptist. You can read of that in Mark chapter 1, 15. And then the fourth one is the cutting off of Messiah in the midst of the final week. And that, of course, is Calvary, the death of the Lord Jesus. The completion, the great scope of this prophecy is A.D. 71, when the city of Jerusalem is besieged by the Roman armies. It is entered, destroyed, sacrifice is ended, the furniture of the temple is removed. It's the end of Judaism as a watertight institution. From there, they have no more sacrificing, no more uh, Ark of the Covenant. They have no more high priestly ministry. They are now scattered in various nations, and they continue as a diaspora in synagogues in various ways that they would hold on to their faith and to their culture. But the temple was destroyed 
And it was over AD 70. And to this day, Judaism has not returned to temple worship as it was at that time. Now, what we're going to look at is these six uh, particular statements in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. Now, we've covered this one, and we have learned that this is the filling up of the iniquity of the Jewish people right until they cry out, crucify him, and the Son of God is sent out to be put to death, and the Jews plead, let his blood be upon us. And so that is the final act of rebellion against God. And there was no greater act of rebellion than the rejection of God's own Son. Then also you'll read the second one, to make an end of sins. Now we interpreted that, and I admit that there's an interpretation here. We're going to uh, make this uh, to and understand this as the end of sacrificing for sins. And that, of course, is in the death of the Lord Jesus. Christ died as the final, ultimate sacrifice. Now, while the Jews persisted from A.D. 33 on to A.D. 70, in their rebellion, in their unbelief, in their rejection of the Messiah, God had no longer any purpose for the blood of animal sacrifices in the temple. And it was because of their unbelief and because of their denial that God allowed the Roman armies to come and wipe off that Jerusalem uh, from activity at that time. And so the second statement here, uh, that at this time, that there would be the end of sacrificing for sins. And then also in verse 24, you'll read the statement, to make reconciliation, to make reconciliation. So now our sermon begins. Now we look into this statement, to make reconciliation for iniquity. This, of course, gets to the very heart of the work of the Messiah. You remember me saying that this is the only portion of Scripture in the Old Testament that you will read the name Messiah. But that does not mean that's the only place where he's referred to, because 39 times the same word appears, twice it's interpreted Messiah, 37 times it's interpreted anointed. And of course, Christ was the anointed one. He is the Messiah. I had a lady send me an email requesting that I provide some of those cross-references that Jesus in the New Testament is the Messiah or the Jehovah of the Old Testament. I was happy to provide that. And we have absolute confidence this night that our Lord Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah because he fulfills each one of these predictions or prophecies to make reconciliation. Now, how did he do that? In verse 26, and you remember how I have tried to divide this up? Verse 24, six clear statements. The added information is in the following few verses. They are like footnotes 
to verse 24. And in this verse 26, you will see after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. We have every clear understanding that that refers to the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Here is a, an Old Testament prophecy, very like Isaiah 53, where you have that clear reference to the Lord Jesus. And you'll notice in Isaiah 53, verse 8, that this reference to the Savior being cut off is used there as well. Isaiah 53 there, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. And so we're now coming to this marker number 4, A.D. 33, where the Lord Jesus was crucified at Calvary. What was he doing on that cross? He was making reconciliation for his people. Not for himself, Daniel says, but for his people, for all who would be called, saved, and trusting in him as their Lord and their Savior. Now, sadly, this was not very obvious to the Old Testament people. It was not obvious even to Jews in the days of our Lord Jesus. Instead of believing that he was the Messiah sent of God, they crucified him. They rejected him. And then even after the crucifixion, and even after Pentecost, when there were many Jews converted, those 3,000 on the day of Pentecost were Jews, and later there were 5,000. So the explosion of evangelism in the New Testament, in the city of Jerusalem, were Jewish converts who were now leaving the temple, leaving Judaism, and worshiping as Christians. And we learned just a week ago uh, that it was Acts 19 that Paul took the believers right out of the synagogues and separated them unto the gospel. Now, in this work of reconciliation, the Lord Jesus was laying down his life for us, making reconciliation or atonement. I have said a number of times that in the New Testament, the word atonement only appears once, Romans chapter 5. But the word atonement has many synonyms, reconciliation. And there is one particular passage I'd like to turn you to, Second. Corinthians 5, 18, 18, 19, 20. And you're going to see that the Apostle Paul refers to the Lord's work as reconciliation, reconciling, and we have this ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now, let me slow up here. I don't want anyone to miss this. The Lord Jesus on the cross was a sacrifice for sin. He was God's final sacrifice. He would be the one who would fulfill every type, shadow, every uh, animal sacrifice that was designed in the Old Testament. 
And in his death, he would make atonement. And the English word atonement means at one. So you have God who is holy. He is filled with wrath against sinners. Sinners who are filled of fear over God's wrath against them. But the Lord Jesus, in his sacrifice, he makes atonement by his blood to turn away the wrath of God. What is the result? Reconciliation. So that God and man are at peace. When God looks upon the blood-washed Christian, he sees no sin. Sin is covered over. And in the Hebrew language, that's the word for atonement. It's the word for reconciliation, a covering over. In the tabernacle and temple at the mercy seat where you had this table that was covered with a lid, that was called the mercy seat. And the blood was sprinkled upon that mercy seat to make atonement so that intercession was made for sinners by the blood of the sacrifice. Now let's just read these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 onward. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what the gospel work is, a ministry of reconciliation, so that we hold forth this good news that God's wrath may be appeased and turned away, that there is a sacrifice and a blood atonement that is able to turn away God's wrath, and it now becomes a message or a ministry of reconciliation. To wit, you should understand that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's our gospel. That's our good news to a dying world. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And so there is the appeal of the gospel. Don't live in sin. Don't live unreconciled to God. Don't live under God's wrath against you. Be reconciled. Come. And we have this ministry, this pleading ministry of calling men and women to faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus. Now, it's wonderful that back in Daniel 9, we have this very clear prophecy that Messiah would be cut off, not for himself, but for his people. And there in the Old Testament is that doctrine of substitutionary atonement, the instead of me sacrifice in my place by which we are reconciled to God. Now, the next one in verse 24 you have the next little statement, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, we must think of a kingdom when we read of this everlasting righteousness. The gospel and the Lord Jesus' work is a kingdom, but it's a kingdom of righteousness. 
And at the beginning of his ministry, the Lord Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I want to show you the exact period when the Lord announced that. And you'll find it that it fits in to one of our big markers of time. Let's go to Mark 1 and verse 15. Mark's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 15. After that, John was put in prison as John the Baptist. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you go back to um, verse 1, uh, you will see that this is wonderfully timed out for us. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here in Mark 1, verse 15, the beginning of, or the end of John the Baptist's ministry, he was the end of the prophets announcing the Messiah or the coming Savior. And when he was in prison, his ministry was over. And now the Lord Jesus takes up the ministry and he says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. And you can see there that God is working to a very exact program. Back to those 70 weeks or 490 years. And at this juncture, God's time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And it fits one of these big time markers for us. Now, Daniel 9.24 states to bring in everlasting righteousness. This kingdom of the Lord is always associated with righteousness. We were looking at this text on Wednesday evening in our prayer meeting, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or holiness or way of giving to his people a perfect righteousness for heaven. And so you will see that that statement of Daniel to bring in everlasting righteousness is associated with his kingdom work. And that is a very clear characteristic of God's righteousness to bring in everlasting righteousness. And of course, we are never satisfied with any other message, with any other way, but Jesus' righteousness alone. And if you're a blood-washed Christian, you are clothed in the wonderful, perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus, brought about by Jesus' perfect obedience. The Lord had to live for this. He had to earn this in his own perfect keeping of the law of God. Jesus did not set the law aside. He fulfilled it every day, every hour, every breath that he took. He was fulfilling the perfect will of the Father that he would give to you and to me, all believers, a righteousness, a standing with God in his kingdom in perfect rule.
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Now, out of that message today, I want to ask you this question. What is righteousness? Can you define that? I'll give you help here. The life that is perfectly obedient to God, fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law of God. That is a righteous life. One who has done right at every point of the law. And of course, there's only one person who has ever done perfectly righteously, and that is our Lord Jesus. He's the only man who never sinned, who never broke the law of God, who never thought wrong, did wrong, spoke wrong, nor harmed his fellow man. The Lord Jesus is the only one who possesses perfect righteousness. Now, the next question then is, do you have a perfect righteousness by being perfectly obedient to the law of God? Who can ever say that they have kept even the Ten Commandments in word, thought, and deed? Have you not had some idol in your life at some point? Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength every hour of your life? No, no one can say that. Has anyone ever taken the Lord's name in vain or made a graven image and set up something that would replace God? Have you always honored your father and mother? Have you not thrown a temper tantrum or crossed purposes with your parents so that you have shown rebellion to them? By this we are all guilty. And we can go right down the Ten Commandments. Have we ever had a thought of murder, being angry with our brother? Have we ever had a thought of adultery, ever lusted after the opposite sex? Have we not fallen short of the law of God in every one of these points? Have we ever gossiped? Have we coveted and desired something belonged to something else? Surely we are condemned by the law of God at every point. And so that, humanly speaking, would leave us absolutely hopeless. None of us is perfectly righteous like the Lord Jesus. But here is the good news of the gospel. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus, his perfect works and life, is transferred to believers in him. We call it the great transfer of the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus, whereby all his goodness and perfections are transferred and put to our account. And this is the wonder of the gospel. You and I have absolutely no perfection of righteousness of our own, made by our own strength, but we receive that by faith in a gift, all the perfect works of the Lord Jesus made to us. That is the gospel. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.